Welcome to Guilty Treasures, a podcast about everything you ever loved and were afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Ann Kern. And I am also your host, Emily Cardamus. And this episode, we have uh, as our guest, Stephen Poon, who is a an old enough friend of mine that I don't actually remember how long I've known him. It is probably <laughs> pushing 20 years at this point. And I do think we definitely met through anime fandom. And we may have met in a Wolf's Reign cosplay group. I'm not sure if we met before that or not. <laughs> it was something like that. It was a long time ago. I would say you're dating yourself, but there is also a point in this episode where I find out that I'm vintage now. So. So, like, <laughs> because apparently the 90s are vintage, which makes me vintage now. So, yeah, yeah. Deeply haunting, just in general, <laughs> talking about the past. <laughs> and because I have known him so long, I, I came into this with a little bit of advanced knowledge of the topic that he was going to pick, even though it is not common knowledge, I, I don't think, among people who know him. But his, his topic that he chose is his collection of R2-D2s, which is very extensive, which I have certainly helped him fill out on occasion at conventions he was not at. <laughs> so you've enabled this. <laughs> I have. I have maybe bought him some limited toys in the past. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, like, it's really cool when you have, like, such a specialized collection and, you know, we, we kind of mm-hmm. get into a bunch of different topics, like, because of this, like, whether it's the minutia of collecting or kind of, like, the market that these things exist in and also, like, what is the point of a collection that big and, and continuing to grow that and the sort of decisions you have to make of, like, is this still joyful to me or am I doing this out of habit now? And, you know, it's a really, I, I think that's a really cool way to check in on yourself and and sort of realize the things that you do take joy in in your life. Yeah, I mean, and I think that uh, the ability to be analytical in some ways and organized about something that you're passionate about, it seems Mm -hmm. like something that would potentially be bad for you. But in in the long run, I think it's actually very positive. I think that being able to quantify your collection and know exactly what the boundaries of it are, that maybe it sort of clarifies for you why it's something you care about and, and it keeps it from crossing over into something that ultimately becomes negative, which can can happen, I think, with anything that you're passionate about. Right, right, absolutely. But without further ado, let's get ourselves into this conversation about about little droids, little droid friends. <laughs> So all that formal stuff you don't have to be around for. So all we're going to ask you to do is it's a casual conversation. And to start off, if you can just tell us who you are, anything you want to say about, you know, what you do for a living, for fun and what your topic is. Hi, I'm Stephen Poon. Uh, professionally, I'm a videographer based in Chicago, and I'm here to talk about something that my friends are familiar with, but I just don't talk a lot about in general because it's it's pretty niche, but I, I love to collect R2-D2 action figures and statues. That's kind of the, the gist of it. I go into the <laughs> the limitations I've given myself. <laughs> yeah, because when, when Anne told me that you have over 500 R2-D2s, that's, that's the number I think <laughs> she said, I pictured in a brief moment, like full-sized, <laughs> like functioning that's R2-D2s. That's a warehouse of, of yeah. droids. <laughs> I was like, that's a lot of R2-D2s. Let, let me introduce to you uh, to my hanger, my Star Wars <laughs> life-size all robotic. I mean, let's be real. There are people who love to build their astromech droids. There's the whole culture about it. I'd never been to a Star Wars celebration until last year in Chicago, and they have a whole room just dedicated to builders, and it's amazing. But yes, definitely not that. Uh, <laughs> I actually literally have a sheet of, um, I have a, not a sheet of paper, but a Word doc where I keep notes of maybe something upcoming I've seen that I might be interested in looking for or mm-hmm. vintage items that I, I know exist, but just kind of keep an eye out for. And in it, I, I say five inches in height or shorter as like a rule <laughs> I've imposed on myself. So if I see that, you know, cool trash can, which is actually really neat. There's a trash can where the third leg is a pedal that you step on to open the dome. I can see that and think, you know what? 
it's okay. I have to share <laughs> my my household with my wife, who actually would be okay if I got something like that, you know, thankfully. Mm -hmm. But like for my own sanity and my own storage space, I, I can't go in that direction. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've known that you collected for quite a while. I don't I don't know when it first would have come up. I know that, you know, we would run into each other at conventions and you would show me the R2-D2s that you had just gotten <laughs> yes. that day, your new finds. But I don't know if we've ever talked about how you got started in collecting this specifically or like do you have a specific figure that was your first r2 do you know which one it was this is really a situation of like father like son because my dad he is a collector and he would collect a lot of star wars memorabilia and he at one point really could say he had every card and comic that was ever published at least at that point in the early 2000s and we would go to non-sports card shows together of course we would buy the toys when they started to get re-released in the 90s so it's hard for me to say what was the first that I collected for myself. The first that I ever had was the, you know, the old Kenner vintage figure. But for myself, that's a lot harder. If I had to pick one, if I had to just make the decision, it was they came out with a whole series of figures based off of the Ralph McQuarrie concept art. And there is a two-pack of the C-3PO R2-D2 based off this Macquarie art. And I was, oh, I don't even remember. I think I was visiting it someone at uh, maybe Northeastern University. It was so long ago, but I remember seeing it, buying it, and being like, this is so cool. This is mine. Oh, maybe I went. Maybe I want more. These are cool. <laughs> I guess a lot of it comes from the appeal, too, of the character. Who doesn't want their own personal, artificially intelligent Swiss Army knife? <laughs> yeah, I guess nobody really sets out to have 500 plus R2-D2s. That no. just sort of happens, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it yeah, it, it stemmed, of course, when I was younger. We had these figures, and I liked, you know, just as a source of play or making dioramas, you would want to try to encapsulate as many different action scenes, and you're kind of limited, at least in this case by what the figure is capable of doing. You know, whether it has a little arm that pops out or a lightsaber that can launch from the dome. And so, I, you know, I would find one, it would fit a scene, then I'd find another one, it would fit a scene. And then you just saw something that would be cool. Like, oh, that's uh, a Pez dispenser. Or I mentioned in my email, there's this, uh, in the late 70s, 1978, Takara made a Gashapon prize. That's a, it's an, a real metal figure. It looks like R2, of course. And underneath, it's got a spring-loaded platform, like you would see, uh, like, old coin dispensers that's meant to hold 100 yen coins. So I could imagine, you know, some kid in the 70s would have this go to the arcade and put 100 yen coin in the machine. And I saw that and I'm like, that's just cool, just as a vintage piece, but also mechanically as a piece. And I just found it on eBay and I haven't seen it come up since. So it was like a complete lucky find. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's a neat piece to have. Like when it's always interesting to see how when they're making licensed things, how they branch out beyond toys or how they come up with new interpretations of what it means to be a toy right like there are all these the it, the number of iterations that you can have of any given character the merchandise that they're able to build off of basically kind of a cute trash can <laughs> um, yeah it's it staggering is. It's, it's really cool what what they what they've really done or they'll take characters and kind of put it in like a costume like whether it's uh you know dr bunsen from the muppets i found a bootleg minion r2 from like china <laughs> Or there's like a, a mini Mr. Potato Head, or there's a the Kinder Egg Company mascot, this like hippo figure. They had a couple of those also in this costume. It really gave me a much more appreciation of just design in general. When you see what are the small decisions that someone had to make when they're either sculpting this or detailing it, especially when you get into very small, like the micro machine or the old micro collection figures, what did they decide to actually do? Like, I'm just going to put this one blue stripe. Okay, that's it. That's all we're going to do. Or we'll just kind of interpret this panel. It's just a circle. That's fine. Yeah, you, you really see how they break down a character into its it, as basic as humanly possible design elements. And then you're like, oh, right, R2-D2 is just kind of, you know, a half circle on top of a cylinder with, with a couple dots on it. Exactly. And, and the fact that you can still look at it and read it and go like, oh, yeah, that's R2-D2. Like, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, you could do a super abstract, like, two lines with maybe some rectangles underneath it, and you could look at that and be like, I know exactly what that is like especially because it's so iconic there's a lot of iconic imagery in star wars which is you know of course a completely separate topic but i just like how it can go between something that's just cute or something that looks more utilitarian and something that like if you had a compass anyone could draw with ease you know you mentioned like just kind of like stumbling upon this 
piece that you found on eBay, do you have like a method for how you look for these? Like obviously for like a new release, you kind of can find, oh, here's like the new thing that's coming out for this convention or this event or at, at the parks or whatever. But like, how do you go about like finding things for like that might be missing from your collection? I have a method and a lot of it is through keywords on different websites. eBay is a, always a very good starting point, especially because it's going to change a lot more often than you would on a normal retail website like Amazon. So for example, there is a series of small little rubber figures put out in the 70s by a company called Marika. And uh, they, they're called Keshigomus or like little rubber erasers, the kind of thing you would buy in a, you know, a convenience store. And there's, there's so many in so many franchises. So they made those in a bunch of different colors. Takara also in that year and later made a bunch of different ones in different colors. And even though I didn't set out saying I want a full set, but why the hell not? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for it. So maybe every every couple of days, you know, I'll just I'll go on eBay, type in, you know, Marika Star Wars and see what I can come up with. And if it's something that isn't vintage or something a little more modern, I might see if it's on eBay. But I've made the mistake where I'll find it buy it and realize I could have gone that at Amazon for $10 cheaper. I could have just gone to Target, but the instant gratification of, of someone who has something in hand, there's something to that. Whereas when it comes to going to a store or, or walking into a Target, remember going to Target, just <laughs> right. seeing what they have. Uh, you can't really do that anymore. But when you could, obviously, whatever you get retail is going to be a better price. So I would go either on Target's website or Walmart or Disney.com or even Hallmark's website to see if they have something I'm looking for or if I'm just kind of bored or I'm watching a you know a show or a movie and, and I'm not really into it, I might just go on one of those websites and just search, either search R2D2 or search for something more specific. One cool website that I knew the company existed, Mandarake, and you'll see them, you know, all around Japan where people can sell their own toys like by commission. And it's really cool. Have you ever been to one? I have, yeah. I've been to several. They are sort of museum like in a way, even though everything is for sale because it's it's all kinds of different people's collections of things which you can purchase i've seen wilder stuff in a mandrake than i have i have seen in any equivalent sort of thrift store or vintage shop here in the u.s yeah because it's like you're you're looking at everyone's curated collection that they want to sell mm -hmm. basically then there's other similar secondhand stores it's like the idea is you go in and there's just these clear shelves everywhere little cubicles of just toys and you just you can have your pick it's really wild especially if it's a new popular franchise it's extremely overwhelming and overstimulating but they have a website and you can go to Mandarake's website. They have a, a Japanese one and basically everybody else section of the site and you can search in English and find things that if you were to go on eBay might cost you like 10 times as much as what you can just buy directly secondhand with, you know, some shipping costs, but very reasonable shipping costs. This is this is dangerous for me as a person because I had forgotten that you could buy stuff from Mandarake online. <laughs> I used to I use it and sorry. I had forgotten about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry and I'm not not so sorry. It's it's so good. Uh, just how good of a price you can get. There was a series of figures that Ben Presto put out with called Coordinate or Coordinate. I'm not really sure how how they pronounced it, but they were kind of R2D2 but designed with different themes so like there's one it's like r2 but it's black with a death star theme to the dome but they also made confusingly one with a c3po theme so it's an r2 that's gold <laughs> with c3po <laughs> details like how that, that's that's weird it's weird it's weird but it's cool it's their son <laughs> yes if you if you went on ebay they would go for like 50 or 60 or even like enormous prices sometimes i feel like people put things on ebay and just charge as much as they can to see if some sucker will buy it or because it's the only one available maybe someone will buy it because they have no other means but you go on mandrake you'll find it for 15 dollars, something much more reasonable we touched on this here and there but like why r2d2 and not like c3po or or any other character that uses has like you know that sort of strong design element like is there something very specific about that character that drew you to like i'm gonna very specifically collect r2d2 stuff and not you know like maybe just droids or from certain movies or something but like no just very specifically r2d2 as a character it really came down to the gadgets I always liked having 
some kind of multi-tool on me, you know, just the idea of, you know, EDC having any kind of, uh, their pliers, but they also have knives and corkscrews. You know, R2 is always appealing because it's basically this anthropomorphic multi-tool of the Star Wars universe, uh, which was always appealing to me. Plus the fact that, like, R2 is is just a cuter character. C-3PO is, you know, very humanoid, very stodgy, generally more annoying. (laughs) Is R2-D2 more annoying? I mean, maybe. It's like the the fan subtitles of R2's really just swearing up a storm this whole (laughs) time. What's what's he actually saying? And so you get much more interesting design elements out of that. So, for example, Boppet made a toy that's based on R2. And it's even funnier because C-3PO does the voice of the actions (laughs) you're supposed to do. So the actions are are bop it, pull it, and twist it. So you bop it, you, you bop the dome. You twist it, you twist the dome, but you pull the legs down. You really can't have something like that coming out of any other humanoid like character sure. design. <laughs> sure. So like droids in general, I've also gravitated towards droids like in general is something I like. I have a, a mini collection of like the power droids, the gonk droids, but that's off topic. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> That's my son, the gonk droid. The gonk droid yes. and the mouse droid. Those are my there, boys. <laughs> so there's a new a new one just came out, the new gonk droid. I think it's part of the vintage collection, but I haven't had my hands on one, but someone I follow posted it. And just to give you a heads up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, now now I'm just thinking, I'm wondering about gonk droids and how many. Oh, no. <laughs> but there are not, you know, there are not nearly as many, I would say. of the R2 is definitely the one who captured the public the most. I mean, the, the gonk droid is on screen for, for like 30 five seconds or something like that they, they brought it back like you you see varying versions of it in in mandalorian and the sequel trilogy but yeah it's a much easier thing to collect if you wanted to go for all of them essentially yeah so i i think the the relevant question here is because there are so many iterations of r2 right there is an endless amount of merchandise like you could you could fill up your whole house with it and never run out and even with a size guideline it still seems like that could be a problem like are there certain kinds of R2 merchandise that appeal to you more than others? Like, are you are you interested in the ones that are weird, specifically the ones that are vintage or more rare? Is it is it just anything that you think is cool and that's kind of more nebulous than that? Like, do you have a thought process behind which ones you, you go for over others? I was really drawn to collecting based on figures. So like the old uh, three and three quarter inch figures that Kenner had put out. And so it really stems from there where I'm interested in like self-standing, you know, 3D figures as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, ends, patches, yeah. shot glasses, cake topper, you know, the endless amounts of merchandise that's small but not like a fully realized shape of the character. Like there's so much of that, I'm just I'm not super interested in that. Like if someone says, "Here's a a trading card or something," I'd be like, "That's cool. That's not something that I'm I'm looking for." Or say, um, every Every once in a while, you, you, there's some interesting jewelry, like little charms, which are, are neat. I have some of those, but I, I really, I try not to make those much of a priority. Same with like models, prototypes, keychains. If I see something like that and I, and, I, and I think it's cool, then I might go for it, but I don't feel the same urgency as I would uh, with something else. How much are you looking for vintage stuff versus looking for new stuff? I probably spend more time looking for something vintage because they tend they're rare over the last 10 years vintage figures have really shot up in market value and i'm just wondering if i can tell my brother like hey because <laughs> like, he, he has all those like unsealed original figure maybe they were the reprint figures but still like i think has a bunch of those <laughs> if they're like the 90s power of the force figures that came out they tend to be worth less because there was so much that was produced although some some of even some of those are still worth something now like more more than they were like in the late 90s because that market kind of crashed but it seems to be doing a little bit better now that's absolutely true you it's not like you're gonna sell anything for 50 cents there is some value and some of them are worth a little more now because Mm of i think increased interest there's an increased interest of collectors with virtually everything uh, but sure. to give you to give you an interest on like appreciation and value, I had bought a um, it was the 1980s pop up lightsaber. It was from the Return of the Jedi. When Return of the Jedi came out, there is a pop up lightsaber figure, and I got it for maybe seventy five dollars loose, so no card. Right now, I'm just looking at eBay so I can give you an accurate answer. The same thing with a loose card is over six hundred. Yeah, that's one of the rarest ones, isn't it? For R two, I know that figure was quite rare. 
It's rarer. It's not the rarest, but it's definitely rarer. I'm trying to see if there's another one. I definitely remember playing with that as a child. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like having a bit of a moment like, <laughs> at that price I, range. Holy heck. My, my uncle gave my brother and I a bunch of toys and we just wrecked them. Yeah. A yeah. vintage X-Wing with no wings. It's just sure. a wing. uh, you know, TIE fighter, all the decals ripped off. The figures that we had were in a bit better condition, but that's what makes them so valuable now because everyone actually played with them and ruined them. So finding a mint condition figure, even loose, even of the more common ones, you're still, you're not going to find them for a dollar. Yeah. I still, uh, I still have our original. It was not mine. It was my brother's, but I have the original R2 that we had. And I know that it's in decent condition because it still has the little antenna part that comes up that was broken off on a lot of them. So he's in, he's in pretty good condition. We played with him very gently, apparently. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And in some, some rare figures, even in poor condition, people will still pay hundreds of dollars for them. It's very frustrating as like a contemporary collector when it's like you had no choice. It's just, it is what it is. So there are times where I'm like, you know what, I'm just, that's just not even feasible. It's too much. It's not worth it. Yeah. I, I mean, that certainly raises the question, like, do you have some white whales that either are things that you haven't been able to find or that you have been able to find, but the price has just made them impossible to add to your collection? Yeah, there are, there are some interesting ones. There's a company called Glasslight. And they were a, it was a Brazilian company that was able to license Star Wars for the South American market. And a glass light figure with pop-up lightsaber with an original lightsaber, loose, I've seen for over a thousand. Wow. And that's like, no, no, no thanks. <laughs> even if I had the spare money, I feel like that's not something I, I would f even feel good about. So that's, I wouldn't call it a, oh, you know, the, the white whale because you can find it. It exists. You can find them carded. Uh, they're around. But because they go for so much, unless there's a windfall cash, I'd feel very difficult justifying something <laughs> like that. At the same time, it's probably only going to get more valuable from here on out. So even something at, to me, an egregious price might be worth it as a kind of investment, but I don't collect for the investment. I collect because it's fun. I don't want to buy something and feel bad about it and think, but it's a, you don't want to click the mouse <laughs> thing, but this is a good investment. <laughs> Can we ask you, like, what is, do you know, like, what your most valuable pieces in your collection are, the one that you paid the most for? You don't have to say how much you paid. I think you can just say what the item was. I'm not going to put you on the spot um, on that one. Here, the thing is I can actually give you a good answer because I, you can cut this out. I have a database and I have it pulled up so I can actually. Oh, nice. like, oh we're never going to um, cut out the database part. That's important. Yeah, I know. All right. So let me rephrase it. So I keep an Excel spreadsheet, a database of everything that I've collected just because I'm a nerd. And I like to look back and, and say, like earlier when I said, oh, I paid $75 for this vintage pop-up figure because I, I, I keep the dates, the price, the description. Also in part because, you know, my memory isn't going to get any better. And when you get to a certain threshold of, of items, you just can't remember mm -hmm. everything, especially when you get into you know, variants or re-releases. So it is really a big help. So I can say the item that I have paid the most for, but I won't say how much because it's embarrassing, <laughs> is a... Um, it was limited to 500 pieces and it was called like Owl by Kitty. KDDI was the company. And I don't remember what it was around. I don't remember if it was like a premium offered with like a cell phone offer. I should actually look that up. To, to be more clear on like the actual source of this but they only made 500 pairs where it's like a gold c3po and the r2d2 i think was titanium and when you know that something is limited they only made 500 i'm one of only 500 people in the world that that owns this thing and so i, I snagged it i've seen it sell for even more which makes me feel you know a little a little better about it is like that like sort of the thrill of the hunt is that part of the the joy of collecting for you you know that sort of thing of like you want to find it but you also kind of want to find a good deal or or are you less interested in that i was definitely interested in a good deal starting out because there's just more options. I'm now at the point where there's a smaller number of items that I know exist that I'm looking for. And because sometimes they're hard to find, it becomes more a matter of, am I happy with this price than it is? Is this the best deal? Because it might not come up for a long time or ever at this point, especially if it's a vintage figure. I 
also like so so we've asked about like the most expensive thing in your collection <laughs> do you have like I, i'm sure it's so hard to pick with a collection that large but do you have like maybe ones that are like the coolest whether it's like mechanical or like how it was designed or interpreted like do you have like favorites out of like anything i definitely do so one of the earlier figures that I, I really liked, it was from the 90s Power of the Force collection. And I liked it because it was one of the earlier versions that had more gadgets. And it had like a button you'd press and a, the sensor scope would pop up in the dome. But if you twisted the dome, then a tool would come out of the main body. And they never really repeated that function in future figures. And then there was a, also a little hole on the side where you could put like a little claw or another accessory or a little, it was a claw and a saw, I want to say. So as far as like an earlier figure with a lot of possibilities for play, that was an early favorite of mine that came out. And later on, they released more detailed figures with maybe more accessories, but never that same like twist the dome to have this front body accessory pop out. It was always super unique for me. Later ones had like a sensor scope that would maybe pop out if you twisted the dome or a leg that would pop out, but that was definitely more unique of the earlier figures. Technically they're vintage because like the 90s are basically vintage now, <laughs> but not vintage in that it weren't, wasn't like the 70s in the 80s. It was like when the special editions had come out and there was a resurgence in interest in Star Wars and a resurgence in the, the whole slew of a merchandise that had come out and really oversaturated the market. That was one that really appealed to me. Another piece I, I really like is they made a Rock'em Sock'em robot style game where, <laughs> you know, they have those like, you know, Japanese rubber hammers. And when you, when you strike your opponent, the dome springs up. No special sound effects or any, but it was something that I saw. I'm like, they made this game? Okay. That's Cool. <laughs> All right. I feel like I should send you pictures after this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but what really kicked off me thinking about this and reaching out about the show specifically was I used this self quarantine shelter in place pandemic to photograph my entire collection. Wow. Oh, wow. So I like threw up a pillowcase, got a camera, and was like, I'm gonna take pictures of everything. So I and then link you know that with the spreadsheet. So I don't even have to you know in the future remember whatever everything looks like I have a nice uh, <laughs> I even set up a ruler next to them so you can tell scale wow I feel like such a, a toy collecting slacker at this point I haven't done anything <laughs> nearly that fancy it, well I, I had an opportunity where I even though I'm working full-time because there's no commute I had an extra hour every day to do something and uh, I definitely took more than an hour every day but I felt a lot better it gave me the motivation really to sit down and really set this up and and really have it all together all right what's another piece because there's a bunch of like there is a I actually have some in front of me on a wall that I'm trying to use as a reference to try to kickstart my memory. <laughs> One piece I really like that's unusual is it's a it's a Japanese stamp holder and it's meant to be for, you know, your your honko, your your name stamp for official documents. So there's a button you press in the middle, the dome pops up and it has a little holder that holds your honko. Oh wow, that's so cool. And I'm like well, now I need a honko with my name. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And my last name is Chinese. So there might actually be some equivalent kanji yeah. for my name. So I I found someone who does custom um, honkos like Etsy. And at first I was like, oh, I want to actually try to get a Chinese chop, but that's different. You can't, they don't make those really to fit something like this. So I'm like, I'll just go with, with a honko specifically. I couldn't find an equivalent kanji that actually like has meaning in Japanese, but the characters, you can still find a character set. And so I was able to find that character, send it to someone and be like, can you give me a stylized version of this? And they did. And so I now I have it. Oh, that's awesome. So those are two that came to mind that I thought were really neat. So do you display everything? Or, or I guess the better question is, how do you display everything? And, and do you keep some things in storage? Do you kind of like swap things out? Because like, that's a, it's a big collection to try to like, really show off. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not really practical to display everything. And frankly, not everything looks good as a display. There are some boxes that are just not very interesting, or some figures are so alike, especially if you look at all of the Kenner and Hasbro, you know, three and three quarter inch figures. If you line all of those up on a shelf, some of it would look kind of boring because uh, <laughs> they're so identical. Like I really like the idea of having a lot of variety next to each other. So I have seven shelves in my 
in my office slash our second bedroom. And I use that to really focus on mostly loose figures. And that changes every once in a while. That depends on mood. Maybe I got something new or I'm just thinking about something being like, oh, I should get that out. And the rest are in a closet that has multiple shelves that have mostly boxed figures on display, but then they have drawers. And the drawers are mostly carded in loose figures that you can pull out and see most of them in not a very visually interesting way, but at least gives easy access to other parts of the collection. Yeah, that's so, I, I, I just think like with collecting in general, but I mean, especially for something like this, like the display of it is really sort of mm-hmm. important, especially if it's something that you're collecting because it, it's fun for you and it means something to you. Like not collecting is quote unquote an investment, right? Like right. there's there's kind of the thing of like, okay, well you want to like put it out, you want to see it. Like and be like, oh yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, is seeing this, you know, giving you joy. It absolutely does. And that's something I've I've asked myself too is, am I doing this just because it's a habit? Is it just, I'm just used to it as a regular part of my life over the last, say, 10 years and even longer when it comes to collecting uh, or Star Wars in general? And, you know, when Marie Kondo is popular, I, I had this moment of asking myself, does this still spark joy? You know, am I buying something and, and do I feel bad about it? I've had one or two instances where I bought something and realized after the fact, I wasn't really interested in that. It just felt like a compulsion. I should re-examine, you know, what what is it that is, you know, bringing joy to this hobby. And it still does, you know, day after day, I, I'll see these shelves or I'll have an idea for Instagram and be like, oh, this is really bringing more life into to the collection. It doesn't feel stale. Yeah. I mean, I that's sort of the, the boundary line, I would say, between a collection and clutter is presentation for the most part. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, like if you, if you can display it in a way that it brings you joy rather than just feeling like a mess but then also i mean i know about your instagram but maybe you should talk about that since i think that's sort of an outlet for how you use your collection i guess maybe is is a fair way of putting it can you talk about that some sure so a little while back i just had some ideas of ways i could document my collection and this was before the pandemic and i was like what would be a fun way of taking pictures that wasn't just for archival purposes and my wife abby she has an instagram i was very much like not a a super social media person and she was of course like just start an instagram and i was very much like why (laughs) <laughs> what what would I get out of that? And then the more we talked about it, I was like, that's actually a great idea. So I did. It's, it's Blastromech, B-L-A-S-T-R-O-M-E-C-H, which is based off of like an expanded universe astromech droid. It's basically an astromech droid with a lot of weapons. And then they actually later made a Black Series figure based off of a comic representation of this kind of droid. And it's not a super populated Instagram. I'm still working on it, but I still intend to put up more content where I want to do something a little more creative. Like, for example, I haven't done this yet, but my wife, Abby, has become very much a plant mom and has been (laughs) cultivating more plants around the house. And I have, like, from those uh, vintage rubber eraser figures, like four different distinct little inch high green figures. And so I think I'm going to take those and make something with those in the plants. That would be cute. Oh, and that's such a cool way to like, it's it's that exciting thing of like, you're using something that was made and granted as a toy, but it's still art in a way. And then you're using that to make more art. Like it's just a, it's a very cool way to like repurpose and recontextualize this collection that you've built. And, and make it something that, like, grows beyond, you know, just the act of, like, buying something and displaying it. Like, it's now you're transforming it. And that's really cool to me. Yeah, it's 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 been really fun. I really want to do more of it. I probably would have done more if I didn't go the archiving route as far as time goes. But no, now that's done. My I'm finished with that project. Now I can <laughs> focus on something truly to make it sound hoity-toity, truly creative. Uh, <laughs> exercising. Uh, <laughs> the artistic <laughs> sensibilities. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's been fun to, to at least start. And also when I've been doing it, other people will find me who do other like figure photography, which is a whole subgenre of Instagram I wasn't even aware of. The idea of people taking figures and models and doing like cinematic photography of it. Yeah, there are a lot of people doing very impressive work and fun work. It just really like the, it, it is play, if that makes sense. Like, I, I think that that aspect of Instagram is not um, it's not very influencer focused in a lot no. of ways. I think it's really more people who are just there to have fun, which is very refreshing. Yeah, it really calls back to the plays as children where you would you'd create scenes, you'd create dioramas, you would whether it's something new or something from the films. And now people are doing that through photography, through 
not as much videography, you see some of that, but people will do special effects or lighting effects and they really go all out. And I'm not really at that. That's not really where I'm, I'm going, but still it's something very impressive that I, I've admired. Yeah. I mean, how much of your collection is a part of how you interact with other people? Like if, if that's, I'm not sure if that's quite the way to word it, but are you involved in Star Wars fandom or in toy collecting fandom? Like, do you know other people that you talk about this with? Is this really just kind of a thing that you do for yourself and it's not really something with a social aspect as well? So it's really primarily something that I do for myself. I haven't really had, at least up until this past year, a whole lot of other social aspects, though I did through at Celebration meet uh, a group. Uh, it's, I think it's called Our Things Are R2. So shout out All Things R2. And <laughs> it's a Facebook group. And it's a lot of people who will share pieces of their collection or something new comes out. It's an easy way to find out about it. So I have some interaction with that group, but I feel like that's still something relatively new to me. And I have other friends who are part of just the general toy collecting and selling culture. And that's more friendship that's not even necessarily based in collecting toys. That's the friendship through you know mutual friends and being nerds, liking Star Wars, that sort of thing. I, I have to ask, do you have a finish line for your collection? Like, is there a point where you're like, and I'm satisfied and I'm done? Or or is it, or do you just kind of view it as like a an ever building sort of thing? As long as people continue to be making figures, there really isn't an end. There are markers though, like as far as the modern action figures go up to the present, I consider what I have to be like a complete for me collection. If I'm at a convention or if I'm online and I see something that's a part of like the Power of the Force or the later um, series of figures that Kenner Turn Hasbro made, I consider that finished. When it comes to the vintage line of figures as far as what Kenner produced, I consider that finished. But some of the other figures I mentioned, like Glasslight, the the more of the white whale figures for me, like that's that's not finished. Maybe someday I'll I'll get lucky and find something that is more affordable for me or it's the you know, the right time. Maybe I'll go to an estate sale or a garage sale and, and you know, <laughs> find something. So I think of it more of in parts of the collection can be complete and I and I'm happy about that. But you know, they're still going to be making figures. We just had the 40th anniversary for Empire Strikes Back. There was a new wave of things that you know, Hasbro put out. You know, a new figure is a part of their Black series. Disney likes to come out with these collector's sets that are like little figures on a black stand that aren't super interesting, but are still kind of neat. So there's always something coming out at some point. And I think maybe eventually I anticipate maybe I might start feeling a little less compulsive about it and maybe go towards the things that I find like super unique. But I'm not at that point yet. I think it's maybe worth it to ask the inverse of this question, which is, you know, I mean, this is not something that a collector ever wants to consider, that they might have to sell their collection for one reason or another. But do you have one piece that you know you would never part with under any circumstances? That's that's a very good question. I don't think it would be just one. Yeah, that's that's difficult to answer. I think you could pick a few. I mean, I think that's fair. We'll assume, we'll <laughs> yeah. assume some universe in which this happens that it's more than a, more than one. Yeah, I guess the nice thing about collecting something that's mass produced is there's almost always a chance of being able to rebuild something like this. I have a few one of a kind pieces that were gifts. Those would be more difficult to part with. For example, my family gave me a paper craft. It's a small paper craft R2, and that's that's mounted in a glass globe. That's pretty neat. That doesn't really exist anywhere else. So I would be very hard pressed to let something like that go. Whereas even the piece I mentioned, that was the most I paid for. There are still 499 others. I might be able to find something like that again. <laughs> sure. It's just an interesting thought of like when you have any a, a collection of any kind of scale like that, like there will always sort of be those things that kind of like float to the top and you're like, ah, but those things though, like <laughs> that's really the like, I wouldn't even say like the jewel of a collection, but like whether it's emotional attachment or you know some other reason like that is going to be a thing that is going to be on top of everything else like, even though like there's the hole that's important there's also that very like tiny little thing that's like ah oh, but that yeah and i just find that very interesting like that that is how universal that is among like collecting in general like no matter what kind of thing you're talking about yeah i feel like th there's got to be some kind of what gene or what is it that makes one predisposed towards collecting really sure. anything <laughs> 
there's a there's a documentary that just came out on called The Booksellers about mostly antique booksellers, but also has some collectors in it. Like it's awesome. It's awesome seeing what people have selected for themselves. Someone chose that, though in some cases how did you have a choice? Like for, for anything that any of us us collect, how much of us felt like, how much of it was a distinct choice and how much of it felt like it just naturally fell in our, our lives is something that became really important to us. I mean, every time I buy something, yes, it is a choice <laughs> on an individual level. But as far as the compulsion and the desire and that connections between like what gives you that dopamine rush, like how much of that just becomes so linked with us, you know, physically and psych psychologically. Yeah, it's always a baffling conversation to have with people who are the sort of person on the other end of that kind of extreme who just throw everything away all of the time. And I, I, I'm always like, really? You know, it just... It just, it's so hard to, if you're not that sort of person, I think it's hard to understand. And I, I'm sure that they feel the same way about people who collect things. Yeah. And as, and as a collector, it really did give me a lot more appreciation, not just for other people who collect things that I would never in my wildest dreams imagine pursuing, but even the knowledge you have of like the minutia within a collection, like really gives me appreciation for things that I know I don't have much interest in, like say cars. I come from a big car family. My brother loves cars. My dad loves cars. They could look at something for a half second and know exactly what make and model and year something is. And I'd have to look at the logo in the back to tell you if it's a Honda or, <laughs> or an species or something. But having been so, uh, being, being able to just through absorb that much detail, like I get it completely. What are droids if not cars that you can hang out with? Yes. <laughs> Except you can't, you typically, I guess I'm trying to think, are there droids that are like mecha. You can ride them? I don't think, not in Star Wars. I can't think of anything that has a separate intelligence as opposed to something augmenting another being. I don't, I don't think there is anything. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess the, the AT-ATs? Would we, are those kind I, of Those aren't that? droids. I think they're droids. Yeah, they're yeah. not droids. They're, not they're droids, vehicles. Because so. I was thinking about the, them too. And I was like, well, no, those are just vehicles. I think I always yeah. thought that they had intelligence rather than they were being driven for some reason. I think because of the animation. Like they, they yeah, have so sure. much yeah. personality. I think I always thought of them as being alive. <laughs> I feel like droids are definitely like they're AI and they aren't something you pilot or control. Yeah. Though who knows? There's going to be something someday. Who knows what Disney's going to do? Sure. <laughs> for, for better and for worse. This is interesting, though, because like it's so so typically at the end of the episode, we sort of ask our guests just to kind of give like the elevator pitch of like if you ran into someone on the street and they were like, well, why is that so great anyway? And like you kind of had to like be like, hey, no, this is why you should try it out. But like it's such a very specific <laughs> like thing. So I guess if you would like to elevator pitch specifically collecting R2-D2 memorabilia, you are more than welcome to. But also maybe if you, if you want to take it, if you want to more take it as like a maybe collecting in general, like sure. like whatever feels comfortable to you. Collecting in general is something that like if it's some if you find something you're interested in, really don't hold yourself back because you'll find a really rewarding experience in not only the variety of things, but all the different design decisions and the artistic decisions that people have to make in different cultures is really, really cool. You're going to meet people that you might have never met before. You might go to a place you've never gone before. And it's also going to make you just more aware outside of your collection of the whole variety of artistic and mechanical decisions that are happening every day that most people aren't even going to notice. You could even walk down a shampoo aisle and notice, wow, there's actually something very interesting going on with this bottle. Someone had to decide that and someone had to design it and probably model it in some way and in a way that it can be mass manufactured. I, that's pretty good, I think. For, for, <laughs> that's for no, that's it. very good. Yeah, I was just I was sitting in it for a moment. I was like really <laughs> absorbing it because it was really good. Uh, and do you have your? Yeah. So I I usually throw people under the bus at the very end of the recording by asking them a hypothetical question, which is in hindsight maybe a little unfair as a as a mechanic <laughs> for the show. But I think the obvious question here would be what you would add to your collection if you could add anything. But we did kind of talk about that, you know, even without con taking into consideration how rare something is or how expensive but I, I think you can answer that but I also would like to know if there's anything that you want to exist that doesn't like is there an R2 thing that you wish that they had made that no one has made okay I'll, I'll do both 
So if there's one item that I would just really like to add to my collection, I guess the biggest white whale of them that I didn't mention earlier, it was from a series of bootleg Turkish figures that came out. (laughs) And they were called, there's a company called Uze, U-Z-A-Y, and they did a whole line of Star Wars figures, unlicensed. And the R2 they made is super interesting because it has these red details to it and the lightsaber kind of looks like a red cigarette that pops out (laughs) of the dome and it's really it's it's not only extremely rare but if you find it you're just going to sell both arms and both legs to find it and only as far as i know only one complete collection exists of this line and you're going to be hard pressed to to find them or at least to find this r2 you can find some loose figures and occasionally a carded figure online of of other ones the r2 is particularly rare to answer the other question of if you wish something exists that's a good question i've actually thought of something that i would probably would probably be pretty cool it would be really cool if they made a ring holder or a ring dish like Mm. something small maybe porcelain where you know you open the dome and and it's just this perfect small nested space for holding a ring or maybe has one of those cones that you sometimes see that a ring could rest on oh that would be really cute yeah now i want that (laughs) it would be cool wouldn't it because i i have some smaller pieces i could probably turn into that they've made other pieces they they make an egg holder it's a porcelain egg holder you open the (laughs) dome and it's shaped for you to put an egg that you would see like in an old old movie where someone takes their spoon and cracks it. Like Hercule Poirot could eat an egg from this egg hole. So it's not out of the question. It's something that could possibly exist. And you know what? Yeah. I'll bet people would buy it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. There's such a surge also, I feel like, in the last, like, five years of, like, high-end or, like, just, like, home living, Mm -hmm. like, nerdy stuff. And I feel like that should exist, basically. We want to be adults, (laughs) but we still want to collect toys. So that's the perfect intersection. (laughs) And they've really done a good job. Not they, just in general. The industry has done a good job at making things that are pretty stylish. Like, La Crusade made a bunch of mini pieces of different droids that would fit and not look really out of place in a modern kitchen. I have a, I have a spatula in my kitchen. I Every time I find something practical, I always ask Abby, I'm like, Abby, you know, I, I'm not buying this just because of the collection. I'm buying this or I have this because it's practical. I want to actually use it. Do you care if this R2 spatula rests in our, you know, with the rest of our, our kitchen kitchenware? Mm-hmm. And she answers, truthfully which was she doesn't mind and she uses it Uh, whereas (laughs) some other things are a little less practical i have uh they're like cupcake muffin molds they're not really good they don't look very good and it all it is is it's like the lower body of the droid and you would have to like decorate the dome to make it kind of make sense yeah okay i mean points for trying but you know not super interesting those are in a cabinet i don't those aren't out anywhere well thank you so much for sharing this time with us this was delightful oh thank you for having me i could talk longer (laughs) i I hope (laughs) i hope your listeners uh find enough interesting about my ramblings (laughs) well i i found it very interesting now i feel like i want to go like i i always get this like surge after we do something and i'm like oh no i just like want to go like watch star wars or like (laughs) dude like i'm i have that energy now so yeah i i mean i i would love to like find more like what what do you collect nowadays it's funny i don't have i don't think i have a set collection of anything i think i just sort of like i just like like stuff and then i'll pick it up i there was a short period of time well i i'm an enamel pin person so i have like walls of enamel pins. now is the is a great time to collect enamel <laughs> it really pins. is it's they're so popular um, like i started with like the disney enamel like the disney parks pin trading yeah. so like before enamel pins were really in mm-hmm. vogue but there was a short period of time i collected disney put out i don't know what order it came out in whether there was the mobile game and then they made the merchandise or if it was the merchandise and then they made the mobile game but the little um they were called zoom zooms mm-hmm. oh yeah uh the little plush yeah and then i found out they discontinued all of them mm-hmm. and my heart has been broken ever since yeah oh, no you know they made a number of r2d2 zoom zoom figures and keychains yes yeah i would always go for like little set like i didn't i wasn't like collecting all of them it would just be like sets that i really liked so mm-hmm. i like got all like the big hero six ones and then there was like a period of time where they came out with a bunch of various like sort of themed like 
Mickey and the sort of main crew, but like it would be like Grand Floridian or like Western <laughs> sort of thing. And but I only bought the Donalds because <laughs> they were really cute. They were like, I'm like, I love that face. I need them. So I have like a stack of like four Donalds like on my desk oh, right that's now. Awesome. <laughs> they, I always like it when multiple things are like mashed together in interesting ways. So they made it was a Tsum Tsum R2D2 car. It was a line of toys called Star Cars, where they would take various franchises and, and make differently designed diecast vehicles out of them. And I saw that and I'm like, oh, what? Yes. <laughs> what? Somebody did that? Okay, cool. And it has a miniature C-3PO on top of it, too. <laughs> Just add, add a cute factor. Pins are interesting because I really like wearing lapel pins if I'm wearing like a suit. So I have a, a small collection of pins, but it's very, very focused on like what would work with like a nice outfit sure yeah sure and then Anne, your collections are uh yeah i mean my collections are have always been eclectic i've never had the the focus to have one thing that i just bought a lot of i've tried multiple times when i was mostly when i was younger where i was like oh this is going to be my thing but nothing nothing is my <laughs> thing everything is my thing which is dangerous <laughs> because then i have nothing to nothing to narrow it down but it yeah i mean i mostly collect um designer vinyl at this point but like pretty specifically certain brands or characters characters that I like and then uh anything that strikes my fancy outside of that you know that's some artist designs some toy and I and I just like that I mean I, I don't have a bunch of things where I have you know 15 different versions of the same thing and I I mean I collected vintage Star Wars figures for a while uh because we had some and there were characters that we didn't own that I wanted that I that I purchased <laughs> in the end which were like extremely specific like I I bought an Admiral Akbar and a, a a good I looked for years to find a good gonk droid where the legs still close so I have one that still works and, and is in extremely pristine condition. So I mean, it, and, and, I, and Tron, anything vintage Tron associated and probably most of the new stuff, I will buy anything related to Tron. <laughs> Tron had some good vintage toys, like the yeah. ripcord light yeah. cycles. Yeah, I have one of the ripcord light cycles that I bought in the 90s right before the Tron toys kind of took off in value. And I have a couple of the, the vintage figures and I have a full set of the trading cards that assemble to be the movie poster. Nice. Yeah, my, my little ripcord cord light cycle works i've played with it a couple of times because oh, cool. i think that you should play with toys yeah um, and boy that thing really goes i mean you could you could hurt your cousin jimmy with that thing if you <laughs> weren't careful you could stub some toes yeah for sure yeah i i do i do have a lot of you know carded and boxed items but for a long time i would just open everything because you know honestly you just get more enjoyment but then as more things are more like variants then there's kind of less of a reason to open mm -hmm. some of those but yeah i'm a big believer in in play and enjoying items and not just putting them somewhere and never touching them yeah i definitely have I am not a box person. I keep the boxes when I take them out, but I, I don't I don't keep anything in packaging. Everything is displayed in some way and interacted with in some way. Yeah, that's neat. Um, I know you mentioned it before. Uh, would you like to plug your Instagram again or anything else that you kind of want to put out there and sort of promote? Uh, this is your space, so please feel free to use it. Sure. If you want to catch me outside of Guilty Treasures, you can follow me on Instagram at Blastromech, B-L-A-S-T-R-O-M-E-C-H. For kind of other stuff that I'm up to outside of, of collecting, uh, one of my more recent projects is I am writing music for a podcast called Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. And that's at, uh, just search Unwell podcast and you can find it. Well, thank you again so much. This yeah. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Guilty Treasures. You can follow us on Twitter at TreasuresCast. If you have questions or comments, hit us up there or at our email, guiltytreasurescast at gmail.com. Or send us a hologram recording via Astromech Droid. If you have a moment, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, and if you like the show, tell a friend. Or just mail us, like, the weirdest toy that you can find on eBay or Mandarake. Seriously, we love toys. We'd be happy with it. Until next time, let the dragon in your heart be happy. Thank you.